0: Welcome to the Gaming Ride Home podcast for Wednesday, July 8th. I am Kyle Hilliard. Here's a whole bunch of video game stuff that happened recently. Donkey Kong Country is coming to Switch. Reviews are live for Deadly Premonition 2. Capcom is asking for Resident Evil 8 Village feedback. And Halo 3 is coming to PC in less than a week. The first Donkey Kong Country is coming to Switch. Normally, I might have just waited to talk about this in the new release segment at the end of the podcast, but I am extra excited about this, which is dumb. Because I have an SNES Classic currently hooked up to a TV, and I think I also probably own the Virtual Console version of Donkey Kong Country on Wii U. I have plenty of ways to play it, but this will put it on my Switch, and I've already paid for it. Three games are coming to the Switches, NES and SNES library on July 15th. The big one is Donkey Kong Country, which is a game I love to play and love to listen to. The soundtrack is so good. I loved video games growing up, but the first console I ever owned was a Super Nintendo, which was gifted to my siblings and me by my parents after much wearing down and probably annoying, demanding, and it came bundled with a copy of Donkey Kong Country. So, even though Donkey Kong Country wasn't the first game I played, it was the first I owned, and my brother and I played it a lot. Maybe too much, if you ask my parents. Also, being added on July 15th is the Super Nintendo game, Natsume Championship Wrestling, which I am sure is very exciting to wrestling fans, but is not one I am familiar with. And then the NES game, The Immortal, is also coming on July 15th. Again, it's not one I am familiar with, but among all the hubbub about Donkey Kong Country, there is a collection of folks who are excited about this game. In response to my own tweets about Donkey Kong Country, at Dan Regnier replied to me saying, The Immortal! I know this sounds crazy, but in its own way, it's like a version of Dragon's Lair that's fun to play. And at Nick Udemon said, Not gonna lie, The Immortal, especially the Genesis version, is a pretty sweet game for its time. It has quite detailed and graphic death animations. And get this, it was published by EA and was even on the Apple II. It sounds like an an interesting game, so now I am excited to check it out. This is... Honestly, exactly what I want from the NES and SNES Switch libraries. Classics that I love and everyone loves, like Donkey Kong Country, but then also curated lesser-known games like The Immortal that I probably never would have played or heard of if they had not been placed in the library. I hope this is a trend moving forward, and I hope Nintendo adds more games to the libraries more often. Deadly Premonition 2, A Blessing in Disguise, reviews are live. The first Deadly Premonition is basically the textbook definition of a cult classic. It is the quintessential B-movie of video games in that you can play it and quickly point out all kinds of technical shortcomings and marvel at all the bizarre character and narrative decisions throughout the whole experience. Musical themes, for example, will just inexplicably start and stop, and switch in the middle of dialogue sequences based on the shifting tone. It's a weird game, but there is no denying that it was made with passion and perseverance by its creators, and I definitely count myself as a fan. My wife and I played through it together when it first released, and I am eager to do the same with the sequel, whose reviews went online today, and those reviews are mixed to put it kindly. It is currently sitting at a 56 on Metacritic. DualShockers.com represents the most positive review. Ricky Fretch wrote, It's a game that feels like it has never played any games released after the original. It doesn't care about frame rate or good controls. It's made a few changes to the overall formula, but mostly casts aside the advances game design has made in the last 10 years. Deadly Premonition 2 just wants to tell its story, tell it well, and be its own weird little self. Your ability to either live with it or not will determine how deeply you fall in love with the citizens of Lakar. Destructoid's Chris Carter gave the game an 8 and wrote, It's a weird game to review because so many people are going to expect drastically different things. How many games force you to shave and send your clothes up for dry cleaning? How many times can you say that you hexed an old window so that you could go bowling in the past, oh, say, decade or so? Deadly Premonition 2, A Blessing in Disguise, is another trip you've been warned. And then, from there, the reviews lean mostly negative. IGN's Tristan Ogilvy gave the game a five and wrote, Deadly Premonition 2 isn't good, nor is it so bad that it's good, like its predecessor. It's something much, much worse. It's mediocre, and that's too bad. I'm certainly grateful for the chance to spend some more time with the eccentric and ever-enthusiastic Francis York Morgan, because he remains one of the funniest and most unique lead characters in all of gaming, but I found myself less tolerant of Deadly Premonition 2's technical issues and half-baked combat this time around, and its central mystery is ridiculous, without ever going far enough off the rails to be truly surprising or memorable. My friend Jeff Cork over at Game Informer, who I can personally confirm, is a fan of the original, like me, wrote, it's a weird paradox overall, a game that is simultaneously too short and too padded out, but here we are. It's bound to be another polarizing title, which ultimately shouldn't come as a big surprise. I just wish I could have counted myself among its defenders this time. USgamer.net's Matthew Olsen had, Perhaps one of the most negative reviews, giving the game a 1 out of 5 and wrote, Deadly Premonition 2 A Blessing in Disguise is hard to love, even by the standards set by its predecessor. In leaving Greenvale behind for a style of prequel and sequel storytelling split across Louisiana and Boston, Deadly Premonition 2 jettisons much of what made the original charming, along with some interesting mechanics and variety in favor of an empty town and a story that serves up tropes and bits of lore that do little to enhance or build upon what made the original fascinating. All the while, terrible performance makes it more of a slog than its uninspired ideas and pacing do on their own. All of those reviews are linked in the show notes, and I personally can't wait to play it when it releases on Friday, July 10th on Nintendo Switch. The charming thing about all these reviews going live is the game's mastermind and creator, Hidetaka, Swery65, Suhiro, is sharing all of these reviews on Twitter. The positive, the negative, the indifferent. He just seems to be happy that people are talking about the game. Fun personal fact about Sweary: I am friends with him on Facebook, which is not a brag. He's friends with a lot of fans on Facebook, but because he is based in Japan, Whenever my birthday rolls around, he is always the first person to wish me happy birthday on Facebook. It's always a nice way to start the day. Okay, it's time to commit. So don't settle, find love at first drive, and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Resident Evil Survey seeks feedback on Resident Evil 8 Village. The official Resident Evil Twitter account shared a survey seeking some feedback about the upcoming Resident Evil 8, which is interesting but doesn't have much in terms of newsworthy teases, sometimes surveys like this will ask coy questions about the potential of DLC or what kind of things you would like to see from the gameplay or the story, which subtly ends up being hints about the gameplay or story. That's not really the case here, but there were a few things that caught my eye. Capcom seems very concerned with the perception of the game's title. like. Maybe they're worried some people think the game is just called Village and aren't aware that it is a Resident Evil game, or they're concerned people don't realize the game takes place in a village, I guess? The survey asked if you agree that the game takes place in a village, or if Village is the game's main title. It also asked about next-gen buying intentions, and I thought I had a scoop for a second, where it asked if you are planning on buying the standard PlayStation 5 or the one without a disk drive. And then it asked the same question about Xbox Series X. And I thought it was basically revealing that there was going to be a disk drive free Xbox Series X. But then it qualified that option by saying, if available. The survey is linked in the show notes if you want to go fill it out and offer some feedback. There was an open ended question that asked, What would increase your interest in purchasing the newest Resident Evil game? And I wrote, Learning that it wholesale steals Resident Evil 4's inventory system. So, please feel free to write the exact same thing so that our voices can be heard. Not much today in terms of new releases, but there were a few release date details. Vigor is out on Nintendo Switch today, though. It's a game that has found some success on Xbox One, but it's now moving over to Switch. It's self-described as an online third-person multiplayer shoot-and-loot game. Vigor will be free to play on Switch a little bit later this year, but you can spend $20 to play immediately today, which also gives you access to the Founders Pack, which gives you some exclusive in-game stuff along with the early access. Halo 3 is coming to the PC version of the Master Chief Collection on July 14th. There is not much to say there other than the date. I don't think the PC version will have any big changes or updates or anything, With the exception of Halo 5, Halo 3 is actually probably the one I played the least, which is funny because for many, it was the one that they played the most. It really ushered in a whole new series of Halo fans, but it came out at a point where personally I was playing online and locally with friends just less in general. Still had a great time with the game though. I just don't feel a burning desire to revisit it on PC. Mafia Definitive Edition has been pushed back to September. Alyssa Mercante reported on the delay for GamesRadar and wrote, The Mafia Definitive Edition release date has been pushed back nearly a month due to the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. According to an official statement from the team at 2K, the ground-up rebuild will release on September 25th instead of the original planned date of August 28th. As many game developers have acknowledged, the COVID-19 pandemic and the work-from-home model it has produced can complicate the dev process. In this case, 2K writes that finalizing everything in time for the original launch date has become increasingly challenging. That's disappointing news, certainly, but also totally understandable. Watch Dogs 2 will be free this weekend on PC, on Sunday, July 12th, specifically, by way of your Ubisoft account. Apparently, you will need to log into your account before Ubisoft's forward presentation begins airing at 2 p.m. Central Time on Sunday. And as, as far as I can tell, as long as you log in and redeem it, the game is yours to keep. It's not a free weekend situation where you have this you know timer where you have to play the game and then it expires. Also, that's a good reminder that Ubisoft's Forward event is on Sunday at 2 p.m. Central Time, but I will be rounding it up on Monday. No word on a North American release date for this, but a Dragon Quest tactical grid-based, turn-based, free-to-play RPG is coming to mobile devices on July 16th in Japan. It's called Dragon Quest Tact, which is not the best name. Might be one of those situations, though, where... If it does come to North America, the name might change. That's it for gaming news today. I played three games yesterday, two of which were somewhat random. I'm playing Ghost of Tsushima, which I am obligated to say was provided by Sony. I don't mind saying it. I just want to clarify that I am required to say it, if you're confused why I keep mentioning that. I can't say anything about Ghost of Tsushima yet, but I can talk about the other things I dabbled with last night. I played the first 30 minutes or so of Superliminal, the puzzle game that is all about using your perspective on objects to change their size to solve puzzles. It is heavily, heavily inspired by Portal. You're in some kind of dreamlike testing facility, and there is even a robotic, emotionless voice pushing you through the whole experience. It's unsettling in a way that I appreciate. I solved the first few rooms, and it was technically... Very cool. I I don't feel like I have a proper handle on the core mechanic yet, though. A few of the puzzles I solved felt a little accidental. Like if I were explaining to you how I solved a puzzle, I would have to start my sentence with the phrase, I think. I do want to play more, though. I understand it's not super long, and I think I just need to spend a little more time with it to fully understand what I'm doing. I also played a few rounds of Hyperscape Ubisoft's entry into the battle royale field. Much like Superliminal, I don't feel like I have a proper grasp on the mechanics that separate it from other battle royales yet. I like the setting, though. It all takes place in a virtual city that looks remarkably close to Assassin's Creed's Animus, which I suppose isn't too surprising considering the game does come from Ubisoft. And then in that virtual city setting, It's a series of dense city blocks with lots of opportunities to get to the top of buildings, which I like. I'm always in favor of no fall damage and more verticality. The city also breaks apart blocks at a time, so instead of a circle closing in, chunks of the city will just become uninhabitable over time. It's different, but I don't know that it's better or worse than the closing circle the shooting feels pretty good but everyone has a lot of health so it takes a while to kill anyone which i didn't love there is also this idea that over the course of the match people watching the game being played will make decisions about various things that can affect the world in my matches the gravity was turned down for a period of time allowing everyone to make these huge flying leaps which was very cool In that same match, the viewers elected for everyone to suddenly be visible on everyone's map, which totally changed the tone. Everyone suddenly dropped the pretense of being sneaky and just tried to shoot each other as soon as they could get close. I liked that element of the game as it really made the match just sort of suddenly change in big ways. The game left a a decent first impression, but that battle royale space is obviously a tough competitive area. Hyperscape releases on July 12th. If you have any corrections or just feedback in general, feel free to send me tweets or DMs to either at KyleMHilliard Hilliard or at gaming ride home, or you can send an email to Kyle at ride And please consider leaving a review for the podcast wherever you listen to it. You can also check out my Twitch account, Kyle impersonator where I'm playing through Metroid other M right now. And you can find me on the min show for more long form video game discussion. I will talk to you more about video games tomorrow. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.